Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I personally wouldn't be refereeing a match for, for the assessor in the stand, um, ticking, the, ticking the boxes. Um, I'd like to referee a match the way I feel the match is going myself and I have no problem with going home watching the match and if I get something wrong, I'll try and learn from myself and I'll take the bits from the assessment that arrives by email the Wednesday afterwards from the assessor. Hello and welcome to this week's Premier View Tipperary Harlan podcast. My name is Colm, and today I'm joined with Mike McCarthy from Capo White, Enda Tracy from Tumivara, Sean Smith from Turles, and Marty Ryan from Lockmore. Lads, how are things? How's lockdown treating you? Uh, good, same, as same as every other fucking day. Exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> right, so lads, we'll kick off this week. So we've a, we've a lovely little treat for you at the end of today's podcast, so make sure you keep listening. We have an interview with... Um, Last year's All-Ireland final referee, Fergal Horgan. Make sure you keep listening for that. But before we get to the interview with Fergal, let's kick off with a topic that's um, a topic that's on a lot of clubs' minds at the moment, and that's uh, the GA Injury Fund, or the, the Player Injury Fund, and the income protection part of that injury fund being taken away um, by the GAA. So essentially what's after happening here is the... the the GEA were putting a percentage of the match gates into the player injury fund um, with no attending, with no people attending matches last year. And it's looking like nobody attended matches this year. Obviously the GEA have less revenue. So the GEA have come up with the idea that they'll keep the player injury fund there and it will still cover procedures, but it will not cover for, for this year, at least it will not cover anything in relation to being out of work or there'll be no income protection part of it. Um, guys, any of you guys have any thoughts on this? Uh, 
Um, it's going to have a knock-on effect, Colm, all right. Like, I've seen it last year now, or there were four or seven of the clubs, lads coming up weekly to get now a check off the treasure or whatever for getting our coming away this year, you know, or coming in, getting a few pounds, whatever way of working on, then the club are claiming back. But, like, it was kind of, for the players, it was, they hadn't to do much, they had to do nothing, just click money, sign a few farms and all. It's a very easy process from a player point of view. So when it's gone now, the players are rightly to be upset. Um, but then you got to look down. If they announced this, they didn't exactly announce an alternative. As you said, Colm and Mike are saying, other, you're going looking at other brokers and what they can offer. But when they announced not having it, they should have announced some sort of way of getting a GF under one or we, we're going through this company or just kind of something maybe to streamline a bit more. Because at the moment, it seems you have to go off and get it yourself or as, as a club to get it, but then you're in trouble of having to have to have X amount of players to get a certain price or what well, I do for no column, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, we've been uh, we've been ask, asking around, but I actually, I agree with you there. I think that the GA needed to do something something else here. Even if it was the case that they were taking away this cover, it was the GA that really needed to maybe contact um, an insurance cover or an, an insurance company. Like how many people play GA in Ireland? There's like, thousands upon thousands of people like surely to surely to god that some insurance company would have been interested in 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 putting together some sort of package or some sort of insurance policy for um that many people um but we've contacted a few people one of the one of the sites that came back to us is a is a crowd in mayo called line.ie l-i-o-n-e or l-i-o-n.ie um no affiliation to the podcast or anything like that but they they came back and said that for a decent level of cover it'll cost somewhere between 24 and 32 or 33 euros depending on age for um for a player to pick up income protection um each month so it's a it's a sizable chunk on top of club membership and on top of all the other expenses that um that are involved in hurling adult, you know. Cool, it's cool to have um like if you've a, a family there and a few kids on mortgage, all these bills, like you can't really be expecting them to represent the club and just have no fallback if they get a bad injury, like um as he says Sean's saying, like announcing it is one thing, but maybe they have to come up with some sort of a, a, a stopgap solution for lads, you know. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot less teams than perhaps we were thinking a few weeks ago at Junior C, C, Junior C teams coming in and, you know, lads just aren't going to chance it like, are they? Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it feels at the moment that um, this it hasn't got maybe the media attention that you might expect for mm. something like this being pulled. But I have a feeling as teams get back on the pitch, um, like I've seen Iggy, Iggy O'Regan, the former Waterford um, goalkeeper, he had a post up during the week um, just giving out about it, basically. I'd, I'd imagine once players get a, either a date to get back on the pitch or actually get back on the pitch and back playing, that'll get an awful lot more exposure than it has at the moment. Uh, I suppose the one the one thing it shows, um, column is that the it's not an insurance fund that the, the GA run, you know, it's an injury yeah. fund. And it's it's I suppose gate receipts and all the, the money that the clubs pay is going into it, you know, to, to fund it. And I suppose in, in this day and age, maybe you know, every player should probably be looking at at um, their own personal insurance and income protection and, and stuff like that and it's probably silly not to be not to have it especially when you're playing I mean when you're playing other sports you, you certainly don't get the cover that, that you do with with um with the GA and I mean I think all of us being involved in clubs have 
seeing the, the lad that arrives on to training on a Monday or Tuesday night and three minutes later he's pulled a hamstring, you know, and he pulled it playing Carrick United in the soccer match, you know, on, on the Sunday. But I mean, that that, that has happened and I, I, I'm sure all five of us here could probably name somebody that, that's done it. Like, um, But look, I think the GF it's an own goal and um, I mean, was it five or six years ago they pulled the physio out of the out of the insure, the injury fund, um, like because lads were probably abusing it too much. I wonder was there was there a bit of abuse going on with with the the wages thing and that. And, um, look, it's something that needs to come back in. It's what made us unique um, as a, an organization that we were the level of of cover that we give to we give to our players I mean up to four and a half thousand like it's huge huge for players you know um, but uh, yeah I, I, I don't know like there, there's a lot of clubs in tip speaking up about it at the moment and it's obviously a big issue for, for players you'd hope that the GA would listen to the clubs but um, they tend not to I suppose it's really um, just last week we were talking about the CPA and them kind of disappearing after they, you know, they solved the fixture crisis and got us the split season. Uh, I think this straight away this is a, an example of why they needed to stay around or should have stayed around because this is exactly something they should be fighting for club players or even if they were a, a united front, they could maybe even do a deal with an insurance company or something and get it cheaper than the 30 quid a month, you know, because... Obviously, if if the G, if the CPA were sending everybody to one insurer, that insurer would lower the the premium surely with all the business they'd be getting, or, you know, something anyway. But yeah, definitely shows that the CPA was a bit premature in retiring. Yeah, that's actually that's a really good point, Marty. Um, actually, I, I think the Camogie Association. I, I'm sure that the risk involved is um maybe a lot less with Camogie and ladies Gaelic football versus with um, adult hurling um, just because of the, the speed of the two games. But I'm pretty sure like they do a, a deal with, I think it's Willis, is it Willis Tower? Watson is named the insurance company. And I think it's like 40 or 50 euro for the year. And that, that has a, a pretty good level of cover, including the income protection for um, Camogie players for the ladies. Cool. So we'll move on to the to the next topic there, guys. Um, and we'll actually, we'll talk about Liam Sheedy's move to Teneo. Um, so earlier this week, it was announced um, in one of the papers, I think it was the Irish Examiner, that Sheedy's after joining um, Teneo Ireland. Um, do you guys think this is a good development for Tipperary Hurling? I don't think it's a bad one anyway. Um, I know there's, there's a bit of a suggestion that people are saying like, does this mean Sheedy gets to stay as long as he wants? I I don't think Sheedy's the type of fella that would outstay his welcome anyway. I think if things started to go bad, I think, you know, I think he'd, he'd call it a day and leave it at that. But I think he's he's done enough. He's enough reputation in the bank to kind of be given as long as he wants for the, the foreseeable anyway. You know, we know he's here for, for this year. If he wants another year or two of it after that, um, then fair enough to him because it's going to be a rebuilding project after this year because I, I can't see there are certain big name players that I can't see them hurling beyond 2021 just because of the commitment and you know in their own lives and stuff like that they'd be looking to move on too so if he wants to be there in 2022 for a rebuilding job then I think he should be allowed if he wants I don't think 
whoever the sponsor is is going to have a say in that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with, with Marty. I don't think it'll be... Um, I, I, I wouldn't see it as any issue that, that uh, Liam is working with today and they're the sponsors of, of TIP and it's uh, Sheedy. I suppose he, he's earned the right with, with two All-Irelands to, to to plot his own course, I think, you know, and, and he he's done TIP a, a great service between managing the minors and, and, and the seniors and, and coming back into it. And, no, I, I, I don't think there's any issue with him working for, for Teneo at all. Yeah, it seems to have gotten a mixed response. Um, there was a kind of a, a small camp in the county looking for Liam Cattle to be put in straight away, but um, if that were to happen prematurely, it's a lot of wishful thinking, like Liam Sheedy is at the top of his game in terms of management. Like You're not quite likely to find a better man-manager than Liam Sheedy in the country, to be honest. And he has the hurl into boots. So. Um, there could be a, it could be wishful thinking if he was to go and then things went south. I, I'm glad to have him there anyway for the next few years. If if all else fails, Liam Cattle, it's great to have him there in the background, but I could be keeping Sheedy on for another couple of years anyway, and this looks like it could keep him there another few years. So, but, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. In relation to that, like it's not like he's on working for a local company out the road. Like, they're yeah. massive. They've got up to 1,000 employees. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's a career. Like, it's... It's not like somebody who go, oh, he's got like like different with local company sponsor there. Yeah. Uh, with a small construction company, say in Turles, for example, to sponsor them and they have ten employees, and all of a sudden you get the big job with them. Yeah. But this is like it's a major worldwide company. It's not any drop which have to look yeah. at. It's not going to do. It's not like a hurler. It's not like Definitely. a hurler who gets the brains to finish college and he just gets to dump in a number there to keep him interested. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, and even Teneo, like what they do, like they're a leadership development company, um, and like Sheedy's going in at a very high level there. So you'd imagine he's going to pick up a lot of things and a lot of tips and tricks there with Teneo. Um, we got one of those similar leadership development companies in us there a couple of times over the last two or three years, um, and one of them described Teneo as the Real Madrid of leadership development. He said they're like they're on another planet to any other leadership development business in Ireland and even even in Europe. He said they're by a distance that the very best. Like I know a lot of their um, a lot of their market is US based, but he said that they're just like they're an incredible company. So I'm sure Sheedy will, will help prolong Sheedy's career and maybe even help make Liam Sheedy even better than he already is. And you know that he's um he's unbelievable at the moment. You know? Yeah, Got just kind of it. Wonder, Mike. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say that it's, it's doesn't it like when when you see Sheedy getting this job and we've obviously Sheedy has been very successful in everything he's done, be it his personal life or his his um his sporting life and he's um like. Did the GA missed out? I mean, this man wanted to be the director general of the GA. Now, I mean, it worked out for Tipping that he didn't get it. He came in as manager and we won in All-Ireland. But, I mean, the GA as a whole have missed out here, in my opinion. I think he's way better than, than Tom Ryan um, to there. I, I I would love to have seen what Sheedy could have brought to that role. I mean, he, he's passionate about everything he does. and he, Like, he really could have taken the GA as an organisation to, to the next level but I, I suppose the GA as, as we all see is slow to make changes and maybe Sheedy was too far ahead of his time you know, for, for, for the organisation because I think he would have like dragged us kicking and screaming into, into the, the, the 2020s you know and, and but, it, but it worked out well for, for Tipping that we got him I suppose off the, off the back of that 
I, I yeah. think he'll end up in that role eventually in the GA. I do, I do think he, I think if he really wants it, he will end up there. But um, I'm happy for him to, to stick around and tip for another while first. Yeah. I ju- sorry, just on Inda's point there about about um, Liam Cahill. Uh, but when, like, if you if you were the county chairman back in in at the start of, or the end of 2018, 2019, and you had Liam Cahill and, and Liam Sheedy. Sorry, lads. I'm picking Liam Sheedy every day of the week. You know, he, he was there. He, he's top class, and, and like we still got Cahill for another year and won another All Ireland. I think, I think it was the best, the best outcome at the time. You know, it's um, and Cahill is is getting great experience there with with the with the with the Waterford team, and obviously another passionate man. And if if we if we need him in the next couple of years, he, I'm I'm sure he'll. He'll be there for us, you know. He's not going to turn his his nose up at the at the, the biggest job in, in, in Hurland, in my opinion. You know? Yeah, exactly. I think um, Owen Kelly probably describes Sheedy the best, never be better, like our Messiah, our leader, Liam Sheedy. And when you hear Callum quoting the one in the horn, man, you that. <laughs> that was temporary Owen Kelly, just, just made that distinction. <laughs> <laughs> Right, guys, we'll move on and we won't keep you waiting a whole lot longer. Um, we'll get you that Fergal Horgan interview in very shortly. But before that, I want to sp- speak to all the guys here about one more topic um, very briefly. That's in relation to Tipperary's response to the divisional link being severed. One of the clubs in mid-Tipperary um, sent Tim Floyd an email in relation to... I guess how the county board voted at Congress a couple of weeks ago and how clubs weren't satisfied or they weren't consulted. Um, how do you guys think this is going to gonna play out where I guess two years ago all the clubs got their chance to vote on whether they want the divisional link to stay and it was a resounded yes, they do want the divisional link to stay whereas now the county board go off and they vote against that and they vote to, they vote to bring it, bring senior hurling teams down to 16 teams which essentially means that that divisional link is going to break in the coming months. Definitely. Yeah, it'll probably, it'll probably get, I, think I can see it getting very messy. Um, you know, it's not like it's um, a barely majority. I'd say that 90% of the clubs in the county want to keep that link. Um, I know there is a capacity there where it could be kept, but obviously the county board aren't interested in that and uh, they're only delighted to see this motion come in. Um, I can see it's getting very messy now down the line for next year anyway. Obviously, it mightn't be a runner this year, but um, it was sneaky in a way that they weren't consulted. And I think that's most of the problem. Yeah, no, I, I agree I agree with Linda. I think it that that is the the biggest issue with with the clubs. And I think we, we all accept that the GA is supposed to be a democratic organisation, but it certainly seems that 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 has fallen down in in, in this in the, in this particular instance. Um, now, obviously, we, during COVID, the, the county boards or the county executives were given the the power to make the decisions because obviously we couldn't have meetings and so on. But I mean, plenty of counties are having having Zoom meetings and that and they're having good discussion on it and I think there was one up in Galway and um, like they obviously have a 24 team team uh, senior championship and they wanted to keep that and that's the way they voted but our delegates in in TIP weren't given that opportunity you know the I suppose the, the response to that email in my opinion left a lot to be desired and, um, in that uh, Timmy's response was that the four divisional chairmen were at that meeting and, and um, 
they, they were they were there to represent their clubs, and I suppose technically they are there to represent the clubs. But there's the clubs of of the county, especially here in Tip, we want to be heard, you know, and and they they want to voice their opinion, especially on on a matter that 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 is so important to them. Look, the the timeline for it might mean that we're probably not going to be able to to have a divisional input into the championship, but. I think the clubs wanted to be to be consulted on it, and that is the big issue that, that is there. And it, it's it's left a sour taste in in a lot of clubs' mouths. I, I have to say, big time, big time. Actually, part of me kind of wants the clubs. I'm sure they'll still have to vote on um, the structures of the championship next November, or whenever it is. Part of me wants the clubs to try and keep the link, just to just to make it a little bit awkward um, on the county board. But then the other part is look. There is a there is a complete split season there now. We have a certain window. It's it's very easy to get set fixtures where you know six months in advance of when you're playing. Whereas if you have um if you have divisions and you're kind of playing two, three, and four matches some in seven days, eight days period, it's going to be a lot tougher to make those. Fixtures, but like you know? it's great to keep link, but when you're going to play like, when you're going to play a division like championship, we'd like one about their last week before like point out how many weeks we have. Like there's not. The North Hampshire is a championship on its own. Like, get run off. You can't run this. Like, if someone sat down and had an alternative to it and is able to plan it, fair enough to listen. But, like, I've seen lads saying, oh, we play it off here. But then you're you're missing, might be missing excellent players. Like, clubs are going to play it when players aren't available from either. Like, and with a crossover, say, with different age groups, it's, I, unless someone's not a great idea, I can't see how it's going to play it like, in a way it was. Yeah, but I, I think that's probably I think that's probably a separate issue, Sean, to, to this one in that that um it, it's it's the lack of consultation with the clubs or the, that they didn't get to voice their opinion on on the motions. Probably there's a couple of motions there, you know, and um and, and this was probably just the, the biggest one of them. And I think when it when you explain it to to, to clubs like about the, the lack of time, I mean uh, Marty has spoken before about you know a lot more. They probably got screwed three or four years in a row by being drawn in that preliminary quarter final, and it certainly came against every, them every towards, time yeah, uh, <laughs> towards the towards the end of the championship. Like, but, and and when that's explained, to, but that even that opportunity wasn't even given to the clubs. You know, that wasn't explained to them. And I think that's that is a real issue for for clubs in Tipperary. Like, yeah, there's no like, offer given to them. Like, yeah, you're right. There's no thing given to them. Would he accept this instead of accepting this? Like, this is cutthroat. But at the end of and the I day, wouldn't... If, the, if the clubs want a divisional championship, get creative. You know, come up with a solution rather than saying it can't be done. Because at the end of the day, they're representing the clubs and they're running competitions for clubs. So they're going to have to come up with ideas. Like it should be, they should come up with a Dan Breen, a Seamus Serene Intermediate Junior Divisional Championship and straight knockout. They could have it done in two or three weekends. In the North, at the moment, there's 14 teams, as is in the division, which is ridiculous. But if Stan Breen is down to six, you could have that played off in less than two weekends. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. There, there would be. Would you, there would, be. would you play it off like the Fitzgibbon Cup? Possibly. Possibly, yeah. And like in terms of like having a weekend of it, like. Yeah, a proper. There's got to be some crack when the full weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think Gopal is going to be here above in summer and people can be happy out above in Clock Garden or summer. We love it. Oh yeah. No, you just want you just want a chance to go in the beer, Sean. Don't the Seamus Derby is there before it closes for a few. 
But yeah, weekend that'll be good. Enough. We'll get rid of the Kilmacud sevens then. We'll do that. Do it that weekend. Yeah, but are you still talking about running that and having the link into the into the county championship? Because I think that's what I suppose what clubs want is is that link yeah. that that, that the, the competition is relevant. I suppose that's the and that yeah, they'll have all the, they'll have all their players for it. It must be the link that is the is the real issue because you can have a divisional championship that that we absolutely would be able to make room for a divisional championship somewhere, but it's retaining it with the link is is the issue. Um, uh, and and like at the moment, the only way you could make the divisional championships with the link work is if you restrict it to Denbrian only teams. But that makes a mess of. I mean, there's there's no South Championship next year, obviously. Well, I mean, well, I presume this for this year there'd be no South Championship. Yeah, yeah. Well, there would be if, if you've done a Seamus Marine South, South Championship. Like if they're not if they're not Denbrian, tough tough shit. Like <laughs> you get you get a divisional championship in Seamus Marine. Yeah, but I suppose in the then the the issue then is if you have a link, that means that Mull and Owen are automatically into a preliminary quarter final, whereas the six or seven North clubs are yeah. killing each other for that opportunity, you know. And yeah, and in, you can't the, take it away from Mull and Owen then because then yeah. it's not, not fair. So in in the West, we'll only have a final, you know, because there's only two teams. But at least they'll, I suppose, get a game. But that would be a big issue, you know. You have three or four rounds to win an art championship, the same in the mid. And then here, here's us in, in the West and the South strolling in, like, you know, cock of the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the Galway. The, the, the Galway of the Tip Hurling Championship. Yeah. The, the solution is to relegate some North teams. That's the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that so should the, happen a long time ago, to be fair. But... Yeah, but I mean... I'll just keep it to North and mid teams and the rest of you can play whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's no doubt it's a complicated situation right? but like at the end of the day the county board has to try and come up with a solution if that's what clubs want you know instead of hiding behind uh, a motion up in congress you know what I mean that, that's the thing they're hiding behind this saying oh it's passed here but like have we a way of getting around this or a way, a way of doing it or you know not just saying that's it look like yeah definitely right lads it's time this week, we're joined on the Premier View Tipperary Hurling podcast by Knockavilla, Dunnesky, Kickham's man, Fergal Horgan. A lot of you guys will know Fergal from his time hurling underage with Tipperary. Um, Fergal, he won a Tony Forrest, a couple of Nina Quaps, and he was also a member of the 1996 Tipperary Minor Hurling Championship winning team as a 16-year-old. Um, that team was captained by Willie Marr from Ballangarry, um, and it also contained a host of other West Tip men, Eugene O'Neill, um, who finished the championship with 348 that year, top scorer ahead of Eugene Clunan. Uh, Michael Bonnie Kennedy was there, Tom Costello, as well as a few others. Um, Fergal picked up the whistle back in 2009, and in a very short period of time, he cemented himself as one of the best referees in the business. Fergal was the inaugural winner of the Young Referee of the Year Award back in 2014. He has refereed the 2017 All-Ireland Hurling Final and the 2020 All-Ireland Hurling Final. But now, his greatest ever accolade. He's the very first guest interview we've had on the Premier View Tipperary Hurling Podcast. Mike McCarthy, over to you. Uh, so we're delighted to be joined on the Premier View podcast uh, this week for our first interview uh, by renowned uh, hurling referee Fergal Horgan. You're very welcome, Fergal. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Fergal, so I suppose you're, you're refereeing quite a while. Um, so 
at the start, who encouraged you to pick up the whistle once you'd finished playing and, and start refing? And was there, was there any other referee that you had to, to mentor and encourage you? Um, I, uh, I suppose um, former uh, club chairman and West chairman, Billy Ryan, um, asked me one evening, would I be interested in um, taking up a bit of refereeing? And at first, I kind of laughed, laughed at him a bit, you know. Been involved with underage teams, I was looking at refereeing in general, and I just said, look, maybe... Maybe I, I could do a bit um, a bit of refereeing and see could I do my bit instead of um, trying to tell lads or give notable lads that were doing it. So I threw my hat into the ring in two thousand and nine, um, and I done the course under um, Stevie O'Donnell was the was the coordinator at the time, and um, there wasn't enough um, referees going forward in Tipperary to do a, to do a, to hold the course in Tipperary. So Stevie booked me into Limerick um, down to Adair Manor, and I done it down there with, with the Limerick referees. Very good. Um, yeah, so obviously you, you had been playing, and ha- were you finished playing at that stage, or were you still doing a bit of a bit of hurling and, and and refereeing at the same time? Yeah, I, I was still playing senior hurling in '09 um, when I started refereeing, bit, but like in '09 I wouldn't have been refereeing any adult matches, so it wouldn't have interfered with um, with hurling. But in 2010, I kind of went that more serious. I played in 2010. I played in um, the Seamus Arena final in '11, but that was kind of the last time I played. I was. Um, I was up on the 31 or 2 mark then and I really went at it seriously and I, I said, no, you, you couldn't do both. You couldn't be playing senior hurling and trying to referee matches as well. So um, 2011, I suppose, was the year that I really, um, really went at it full time. Yeah, over the hill at 31, huh, Fergus? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you need to be moving at that stage for, for inter-county level, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, look, obviously, you you, you do a lot of uh, refereeing at, at club level, but I suppose a, a lot of interest in the, in the inter county game. What, what would the route, your routine be on the day of a, of a major inter county game? Well, depending on time, uh, Mike, the time to throw in, which we would uh, depend on our television, it's be two o'clock or, or, or half four. Um, I get up in the morning of a normal, have a normal breakfast around eight, half eight, and I, I go for a walk in the local woods maybe for an hour. Uh, come home and ring my four umpires um, check in with them that they have the gear that's required for the day uh, didn't get my own bag out check all the bags get my um, report card ready scorecard uh, write down the teams write down the the players on both I, I, I'd list the players in my notebook in the yellow card and red card section of the notebook um, we'd have the team sent on to us from, from Crow Park on the, on the Friday we'd know the, what the 24 or 26 players would be on the match programme so I'd have that much done um, I'd know who's playing obviously I'd know them by their first names and um, check the gear get everything into the car and head off and be 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 at the venue around an hour and a half before throwing and just stop maybe on the way for a bit of fruit and a, a quick chat and um, always arrive at least an hour and a half if not two hours before the actual throwing on, on, on match day and big game big, especially big championship games Yeah, yeah you, you mentioned there that you, you'd know the, the players by by first name do you think that's important, I suppose, especially at the inter-county level? I suppose when, when you're refing at club level, you, you necessarily might know all the players that you'd be coming up against. But does that help to build a rapport and maybe make it easier to referee when, when you know know the players and, and able to speak to them using their first name? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, you, if, you're in, uh, if you have a big decision to make early on in the game and, you, and, I, and I can say, Michael, come here, Mancha, and straight away he, he looks up at you and he says, oh, God, he knows who I am. Um, Straight away, he's the players like foot there, because um, you know he he knows that you know who he is straight away, and he have respect for you. The fact that you know who he is, and 
and that's and look, I think every every player I know some some people don't um, say you shouldn't call players by their names, but to something I've always done. If I know the player's name, I call him by his first name. Like you said, there are club games. I would know all the Cap White lads. I know all the Cash lads. I know all the Knorty lads because I'm seeing them week in, week out. But I wouldn't know all the lads in Tommy Vera or Nina. But if I know their names at all, I will call them by their first name. Very good. Very good. So just, did it, it, what's the major differences, I suppose, between referee and inter-county and club? Like, I, I know, obviously, here in the West, you do all levels from, I suppose, under 12 up, but we'll say junior B, junior A, and and obviously senior club, mate. Is there a big difference between those games and the inter-county games in the, in the refing of Yeah, to, to be huge, my, uh, Michael, really... Um... Really and truly, they don't want us refereeing junior B matches or juvenile matches in, in our own county. Um, they'd rather that we do a training session dim nice. They actually don't want us doing dim games um, if we can avoid them at all. Um, you can imagine, like, if you referee Kilkenny and Galway in Co Park in the Leinster final in the middle of July, and then you come and then the Wednesday night before you're doing Cap White and Key comes in a junior B match, talking like it's it's um. Like they just don't want us doing that, but there is an awful gap. And it's look, it's 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 people people don't believe it when I say to them that it's actually easier referee in all Ireland senior hurling final maybe than referee a local derby in West Tipperary, which say between under twenty one teams or minor teams that there has been. Do you know that, that there's a bit of um, history there? Like the the, the, the all Ireland final will be fast and furious, and the hits will be hard, but they're normally fair and on the button, and doesn't you you don't really need to watch anything. It's the local matches really that take more refereeing. Yeah, and, and that comes down obviously to the, the, the standard and, and I suppose maybe a little bit of niggle and stuff that will be going on in, in the games because of over-familiarity with, with local club games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, familiar, familiarity is a big um, for meeting each other, especially when there's only three or four teams in a competition, when they have to yeah. meet um, each other two or three teams in the one year. I, I, I don't see... Look, I know from from a, um, a board point of view and regulations have to play so many matches for a competition to be to be deemed valid. But I don't see the point in playing uh, each other two or three times in the one year. I, I think it's 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 a disaster to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So just moving on, I suppose to kind of getting into maybe more technical side of it and, and the the rules of the game. And obviously, there was a big change at, at Congress in twenty twenty one with the the sin bin yellow card penalty rule uh would you mind giving us a rundown on what that new rule uh is for hurlers and for referees well the new rule obviously michael is, is brought in it's, it's only on trial for the national league and for the championship this year and it'll be it'll be re, it'll be addressed again at special congress at the end of the year whenever that's held october or september whenever the case may be um so basically what they've brought in is that if a player, an attacking player is inside the 20 metre line or the semi-circle D as we, as we know it and he's deliberately pulled down or tripped with the hand, foot, hurley um, or careless use of a hurley in around there and, it's, and in the referee's opinion that it's deliberate, well then it's, it's a sin bin and a penalty. And, and that has to, is that, Denying a, a goal-scoring opportunity is that's in the wording of it as well. I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's if the referee deems that it's it's a goal-scoring opportunity. But the, the, that's an issue I would have about that wording being in it. But look, like in my opinion, if a player is pulled down inside the twenty-meter line or the semicircle by the, by a defender, it must be a goal-scoring opportunity if the defender is deemed to have, he needs to do that. 
So I, I think a lot of a lot of um, I'm hoping I'm, that referees at the county level will go down the route of um, giving a penalty and a sin bin when that happens in the majority of cases. Yeah, and, and as you said, there there can be a lot of ambiguity about these things. But has Crow Park issued referees and we say I suppose players with with what they consider to be a goal scoring opportunity, or is it going to be left up to the opinion of of the referee in charge? It's it's going to be completely left up to the to the referee in charge on the day. Um, Crow Park have just gave out the, have sent us the rule, and we have to look through it. And look, it's going to be. It's going to be a trial error, Michael, in the in the national league. We we definitely need a national league to take this from a refereeing perspective, anyway, for um for to see how it goes, and then we can review things um, after after three rounds of the league. We normally get together in Crow Park and review the national league to date. That mightn't happen this year. It didn't happen last year. We just had Zoom calls like we're on tonight, and we look at clips and things, which is which is um which is not just the same as being in, being um, at a meeting. So that's all we have to go on at the moment, but. Um, as a director from Crow Park, is is we just get sent down the rule like you have, like you're reading it out there, mm. and it it'll be in the opinion of the referee on the day. And look, it's it's going to, it's not going to be easy because some fellas will say, oh, there was three lads between him and the goals. Is that a goal scoring opportunity? And some lads will say it is, and some will say it's not. But look, it's going to be up to the referee. I just hope that we're we're, we're trying to get together as um, a body of referees at national level. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks. We haven't spoke about it yet because the rule is only the rule is only out since last Saturday. Last yeah. Saturday week, is it? And um, we haven't had a chance to meet up yet because there's a few things to be ironed out as regards the other rules that were implemented. So, but yeah. I, I would be hoping that we would, would get together. And I, I just think that you it'll be whatever we're going to do that we'll, we'll try and do uniformly, you know? Yeah. And is that a, a source of frustration for referees that... Would say that that clarity of the rule isn't isn't coming from Crow Park, and that it's left up to yourselves, I suppose, to 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 come up with what you consider to be a a goal, a genuine goal scoring opportunity. And like it, there's other, I suppose, rules. One one I was going to mention there is is the hand pass. You know, and I suppose there are things that supporters get frustrated with. I, I presume referees get frustrated with that that sort of thing as well. Yeah, the hand pass is, is gone very hard to police at the county level because <clears throat> even though I might look at um, look at throw on, on television, if you rewind it in slow motion, they've gone so fast at it that they can put that small little bit of a gap between themselves and their hand and the ball. And um, you could pull some of them and let some, some of them go. But on the rule of, of, of the penalty, I, I would rather personally that they, they made it very clear in that if you pull down your opponent inside the 20 metre line or the semicircle, it's a penalty and a sin bin. I think that would be very clear cut for referees, uh, players, and supporters. That there's there's no there's, there's there's no ambiguity about that. It's straightforward, and I yeah, I, I, I think I think that's what will that, that's what could happen as well. Yeah, yeah, it makes it more black and white. I suppose and easier to to ref. Uh, seeing as we were talking about the hand pass, you know, what are your own thoughts? I suppose from your refereeing since two thousand and nine, there, there's been a serious increase in the last number of years on the increase in the use of the of the hand pass. So what are what are your thoughts on on that? Um and, and as you said, it's very hard to referee. Like is it is it becoming impossible to referee? And you know, is there something maybe that we can change um as a body to to I suppose give more clarity on, on the hand pass Well I I think I think the rule as it is at the moment, uh, I know people will say the rule is there um uh, why don't you um why don't you use the one that's at your disposal? 
But it's 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 a very hard route to police. I, I I think the whole the whole rule needs to be overhauled really if they're going to um if you really want to be serious about it because as it is if if you're going to blow if you're going to continuously blow every throw that's going to, that is in a match that you see in a match there's going to be an awful lot of stop start and look maybe that's maybe that's what is needed in in the in the inter county hurling blow everyone you see but it's not it's not as I said to you it's not easy catches. I think I think if you want to address the the hand pass rule, the rule itself needs to be addressed. Yeah. So um, there was a uh, we spoke about it on the podcast previously. An interesting one from your, your clubmate JJ Kindy there um, regarding um, I suppose not not using a hand pass, maybe using a stick pass, or else having to change hands to, to hand pass, which would give a I suppose a clear uh, the ball. You could see the ball clearly moving between the hands. Is that something that should be considered or would you like to see something like that come in? Well, uh, the 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 one the one that you have to change hands to hand pass is, is I think is the most um, is the best option available. Like I I I think it would be using the hurley solely wouldn't be wouldn't be a good move. But I definitely think there's merit in the in chap having to change hands to hand pass the ball. Um, yeah. That would be clear and be you know what I mean? It's it actually you you actually couldn't give away a free unless you drop the hurley doing that. So that would be that would be a good idea going forward. Um, the hand pass rule it is is been brought up year in year out week in week out but um as a spectacle or or, or as or as a result on a match is is it is it affecting results on games any any more so than we we'll say square balls um penalties pull downs you know i don't think it's as big as issue as other as other rules to be honest the hand pass i think people are getting cut up a lot in this hand pass i know jg has has have a bee in his bonnet over but um uh, not um, it's not it's it's not a hard it's it's not a hard rule it's not an easy rule to get because like most of the time in matches uh, players have their back turned to you facing the sideline they hand pass the ball and the mayor foreigner has jumped up and down the sideline but like the referee has no chance of seeing that one like you know what I mean so yeah, yeah. players are, are very good at, at at masking over um um well they can they can use their body to manipulate the referee at times yeah yeah very good um so. We'll say the the referees overseer or, or um, the guy in the stand do, does he have an influence on on a referee style of refereeing or or have you seen or maybe in your own style of refereeing a change in it based on I suppose uh, um, guidance coming from Crow Park and that on how to how to referee certain certain aspects of the game. Yeah, well, uh, suppose if, uh, we've tightened up a lot in the last uh, four or five years in in in, uh, in national level on uh, refereeing. Like we were probably probably um, uh, there was a three or four of us, maybe five of us that were um, maybe letting the games go too much, and um, we've reined it in over the last few years. But the lad, as as for the assessor, understand. Look, there's an assessor in the national level, and um, that's something that you have to um, live with from the time that you take you start out in your first national league match and. Um, I, I personally wouldn't be refereeing a match for for the assessor in the stand, um, ticking the ticking the boxes. Um, I like to referee a match the, fee, the way I feel the match is going myself, and I have no problem with going home watching the match. And if I get something wrong, I'll try and learn from myself, and I'll take the bits from the assessment that arrives by email the Wednesday afterwards from the assessor. And and uh, but I wouldn't be definitely. Uh, I definitely to answer your question in uh, truthfully. I wouldn't be refereeing a match for 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 anyone in the stand. I know that's for sure. Yeah, and would there be guidance from Crow Park Fergal on? Um, would say, I suppose, as you said, letting the game flow, or 
is there an emphasis on pulling for for everything or is there just certain things that you just have to let go because like it's it's just you're just going to be annoying everyone i suppose if you, if you keep blowing the whistle yeah like you have to have your, you have to have a style of refereeing but I, to answer the question about about dublin nas the national um the national approach would be to blow the fouls they want you to blow the freeze um in fairness they don't they don't want you to let the game flow or buy into that, we'll say, as a good spectacle or listening to lads on the Sunday game or to know a podcast or whatever. That doesn't come into it. They yeah. want, if, if it is in the first in the first five minutes, they'd like you to blow the 10 freeze. That's what they're looking for. Um, right. But look, you have to be able, you, when you're in the middle yourself of a big game, you have to be able to, 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 to make judgment calls on what you can pull and what you don't pull. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know whether you watch soccer or not, but... Uh... VAR has come into soccer in the last 12 or 24 months. And it's causing a, great, a fierce um, furor over, over the, I suppose, the time that it's spent and it's taken the joy out of the game. That Hawkeye came into uh, Harlan or into Gaelic games there over the last two years. Do you, do you consider that to be a, a help um, or, or a hindrance in, in, in your refereeing? Well, I, uh, Hawkeye has been, has been um, a big help, I think, to referees in, in general. Um, like you can't be, you. It, it's a tool that 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 is, is it's a brilliant tool to have, especially in the bigger games in Torles and Crow Park. I suppose the bigger the bigger picture would be should it be should it be at all um, venues at uh, adult senior level, we we'll say senior championship matches. That would be that would be that would be great to have that, but there's a lot of cost behind having Hawkeye. I think Hawkeye is nine thousand euros to use for a match. Around nine thousand euros to use um, yeah. for any match on any given day, but as a tool, uh, Michael, it's it's brilliant because, um, like the umpires, if the ball goes ten meters above the actual post that we're that we're looking at, and it's very tight, and if the umpires get it wrong, we have someone above on the stand, which normally a Willie Barrett or um, or Dicky Murphy in a hurling match, and they they can tell us within seven seconds of the time the ball goes through. If the ball is wide or a pint, and look, sure, you can't, you you can't say that's a bad thing. Like it's, it has to be good for, for especially the players and the management's involved. That the correct decision is being made, and the more correct decisions we can make, the better. And I would also think, going down the road, I I I don't like the VAR and the software. I think it holds up the game too much. I agree with you completely there, but I do think that there is there is an avenue for, um, a red card incident that you could review like like a rubbing match just for just for five or ten seconds if it's a if it's a game-defined decision, I think, why not get it right? Um, the players are training, like, in a normal year, they could have 120, 130 training sessions done and seven or eight big games and National League games. And I think they deserve at least to have uh, the correct decision. And, and it, look, we all get things wrong in, in a split-second split decision. And I, I feel that um, if that technology is there and it's on, it's on hand, that we should get the maximum out of it. Yeah. So yeah, just, just saying as you you mentioned there, it's a split se second decision. How big of a problem is it for a referee to change a decision that he's made in a, in a split second? Like, does it cause issues? We'd say at the start of the game, would it cause issues for you throughout the game? Then after that, with kind of a maybe a perceived lack of authority or, or anything like that? No, I, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If if I got something wrong and the umpires called me in or the linesman said to me, "Fergal, you picked the ball off the ground or you missed it." I think that shows uh, um, the, the players know that you, you that you have a team of eight people there working together, and if they see that, they'll obviously they'll obviously um, they'll adhere to that. And I, I no, I wouldn't any they wouldn't you definitely wouldn't lose any momentum with the players as uh, for changing um, your mind if you if you made a decision wrong. 
I think you're you're far worse in a far worse position if you if you're completely wrong and you know it and and you've been told and you don't change your mind. I think that yeah. would be that would be a, a full mistake to make now. Yeah, yeah. Um, we spoke about the hand pass being being difficult to to um to referee. The the steps rule or the or the four steps is also another one that that's that's hard to I suppose hard to to referee and we often see I suppose referees letting kind of maybe five or six steps. Is that one of the hardest rules in the game to to enforce? Yeah, um, it's it's an easy rule to enforce if there's no one around the player. You know, if, if the player if the player is being held and he's trying to get away from the tackle, I suppose you're going into your five or six steps, like you said there. You're giving the player in possession a chance to come out of the tackle as as you, you probably deem he's being fouled. Now you should bash, you you can say why, why don't you blow the free? Yeah, you can do that as well. Um, it, it is a hard rule to police uh, when when there's players in a club and trying to get away from a tackle. But when they're out and they're open, you see it's very easy to make a decision on steps. If a player is, is bearing is so untrue on his own, then it's very easy. But yeah, it, it is hard to, to call when um, the players coming out are being held. That's where I think the problem is arising with most decisions on steps. Yeah. Um, do you think in in your career, I suppose, in what, 12, 13 years, 14 years coming up on this year now, has the level of abuse in the referees, has that increased in, in recent years, do you think? Well, at national level, or you get no, you get no abuse in the county matches, because um, um, it's not tolerated at all. We say you, they're immediately moved from from the sideline or into the stand, and there's a big fine for um, the, the the people involved and the county boards. And in fairness, county secretaries are very sharp on that. And they, it, look, it doesn't happen. Club level is a big, big problem. How you'd address it, I don't know. I think, I think, I think number one. Uh, the divisional boards and the county boards are not coming down hard enough on the individuals involved and the clubs involved. And it doesn't matter what club it is. It should be, it should be the same for everyone and it should be the same for every fella that's, that's, that's is abusing or being abusive. I, I think we, we need to, that's something that needs to be addressed across the board. And I think that's the biggest, biggest problem. Yeah. Like you mentioned fines there, I suppose, at inter-county level. I suppose maybe it's, it's, uh, easier for a county to to pay a fine, whereas at, at club level, and, and I would have seen it here in the West. You know, if if you if you do fine a club, like you're actually fining us, the three of us here who who go and sell a two euro lotto ticket because that's where where the money is coming from. You know, and uh, like I, I agree with you that that is probably a way of I suppose trying to step it out, but it, it's I suppose it's it's harder for a club to to pay those fines than it would be for a county, would you agree? I would, but I'd also, I also agree that, um, that, um, that uh, any club involved in, in, in a championship, uh, their chairman or their secretary, whoever, they should, they should enforce the, the lads over the teams to carry out um, their business properly. And if, if they don't, they have to be prepared for the fines. And I think every club has to be responsible for, I understand their, their supporters going in, and, but once you're a member of a club, you're responsible for them. I think that's shipping the book. We all sell lottery tickets and we're all involved in fundraisers and we all have to do this X, Y, and Z. That doesn't give anyone free reign to do what they want when they go to a game. And I think most of the abuse, abuse at under, is at underage level, which is, which is, is, which is frightening because if, if you start abusing officials at 12 and 14 and 16 matches, what will the players themselves start doing? And um, 
look, it, 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 it all spirals out of control. I, I don't feel sorry for any, and my own club have been fined several times. Don't get me wrong. We have, we've, we, we've, we have culprits in our own club. But I, I don't, I, I, I personally, personally, I think any fella that's over a team in a club and, he, and he's fined, he should pay the fine himself. Yeah, it's a yeah, yeah. You're right. It is a tough one, and, and that. But I, 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 I tend to agree with you that the clubs have to be, have to be responsible for the for the people they put over teams and for for their club members. And it should be put out there that the abuse of, of referees certainly is done, and, and no club should should uh, accept it. Um, your your umpires, uh, Fergal, you you've um a couple of great lads with you, Sean Bradshaw, obviously who's a, a referee in, in in the county. John Bob, who has refereed for years, um, Mickey Butler, who's chairman of, or has previously been chairman of your own club, Alan Horgan. When, when you're picking umpires, and what do you look for? Are, are they very important to you as a team? Like you work as a team, is that important for for making making the correct decision? Absolutely, Michael. You need to. I've gone through maybe twelve or thirteen umpires, and. Um, uh, I've, and I've had some very good umpires now, and umpires have gone and done other things down the years that um, lads even that do not earn they went off training teams and they were involved in camogie teams and all that and um, look that's it, it's the pity like but yeah when I'm looking for them I, I well with, with Sean Bradshaw and John Bob was um, was was a great coup for me to get them because both had refereed at the highest level in Tipperary like in county finals and having one at each end knowing the rules behind your back it's a massive plus to have uh, another referee um, with you, um, like you, you, I, you can't underestimate having lads at, at a board post that, that know the majority of the rules. Uh, Mickey Butler would be the same, he'd been involved, as you said, chairman of the club and um, numerous underage teams, and would be a great, great chairman. And Alan, of course, Alan played county minor, county 21 with Tipperary, senior club with Chickens for 10 or 15 years. So, like, they know, they know the game inside out, and listen, you, you know yourself. A feel for the game and knowing the, and the knowledge of the game is, is is a massive plus, especially at that level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just I suppose going on from that, uh, obviously you, which are four umpires, you have uh, you travel together and and you have a good way of working. And I suppose you could know with a nod and a wink, I suppose from from someone on the line or from the boys on the post. But should that the your linesman should would you consider that that should be incorporated into like the the official team like that? You are working with the same two or three um, linesmen at, at inter-county games, and it would help with the, with the referee in it again. Yeah, the problem with the, the as I said, the umpires are, are the four boys I bring with me, and they're where they're my they're where up to me on on the day on the championship days. Uh, the two linesmen obviously are appointed by Co Park as well by um, Dublin. Um, yeah, it's it, it can be it can be an issue. Like you obviously you'd work better with. With, with, with certain re- certain referees I'd have a great report with and I do the line with for them and you I, I know you could you could um I'd know to, to the last to the last second of the game that they'd have your back and then you've let's come along the panel and they're trying to break through and you wouldn't know them and yeah it, it would be but then you see you, you can't have the same two lads every day because I could be out next Sunday in Parky Keeve and uh, Paul Dwyer or James Owens could be in Torres or, 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 or um, Pierre Stadium doing a match at the same time. So look, it, it's, it, it would be great if you could have the same two linesmen for the year, but nobody wants to be linesmen for the year either. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they like no, to be no, the I, man in the... I understand. And I suppose that kind of ties into the fact that there obviously, I know you have a panel of referees at inter-county level, but there's, I suppose 
countrywide, there's a shortage of ref, refs in every county. You said yourself that you had to go to Limerick to do your training because there wasn't enough to do to run the course in Tip back in 09. But what's the top two or three things you'd like to do to increase the numbers refereeing? Well, yes, I suppose you have to. You, the first thing you have to do is you have to sell. You have to sell. Um, why would you? Why would you? Why do you want to be a referee? Like, and um, you need. You obviously need more assistance from. Like, you can't. Like, the West Board is, is a small board, and they, they, they've always been very, very good to the referees at juvenile level and senior level. Like, the county board, county boards need to get their acts together as regards referee, like, and get numbers together uh, as regards gear passes for matches. Like we got passes back last year after five or six years having to pay for the passes for the umpires, like that—that's a non-runner, really. If you want, if you want five lads to turn up on, on on any given day to referee a senior championship match, why would four boys go to a match if if to pay to win to a match then tomorrow to see their own club? It it just doesn't add up. And I've been fighting this one for years at national level, even the, my four umpires, like they haven't even a pass for the national league games. Right, yeah. I have two passes for league matches. I don't use them because I'm on the road every Sunday. I'm at a referee or I'm standby referee. So two passes to Fergal Horgan are a waste of time. The umpires are, are in a different. They have to if they're going for a championship match with Tipperary playing, they have to buy their tickets. So what what is the what is the what is the goal of 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 um, bringing referees in? I don't know how you'd fix it. There was a big drive two, three, or four years ago in Crow Park. To recruit former inter-county hurlers to referee, and the uptake was zero. There was nobody to open up. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose that's that was another question: is why 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 aren't more former players? Obviously, you're I suppose one of the younger the younger referees, and your your playing career isn't too far past. But a lot of of older refs, I suppose, they, whether they played the game or at the at the highest level. I mean, you you you've obviously played in. Uh, All Ireland finals have uh, been part of, a, of a, an inter county setup. So you, you have a good head as regards what, what happens in those setups and um, to hit the mindset of a player going on the field. How, how can we get more players, I suppose, with, with that knowledge of, of the game to in the, in the refereeing circle? Yeah, well, see, the, big, the big problem with, with the uptake of referees after playing is the majority of them have given maybe 25 years to the hurling field the, between juvenile and adult hurling. And then they start off with, a, with get, they get married and they have a family and things. And, and they, are they going to give another 20 years to GA after giving the previous 25 slogging and probably breaking their fingers and breaking their hands? And do you know what I mean? And sweating, you know yourself, what goes into playing adult hurling. So it's it's it, it's very hard. To, it's very very hard to get former players to take up refereeing. It's normally people that haven't been holding themselves that take up the whistle. Um, that's not a bad thing. But to, to to go back to your question, we definitely 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 need more former holders, and especially uh, holders that played at least uh, club scene or, or or their first team in their clubs that know the rules, know what goes on in the games. That's, that's how we will improve the standard of refereeing. We won't improve it by knocking them and, and um, bad publicity. We get that anyway. That's fine. That's part of it. But that's how you improve it. Is to, and it goes back to the clubs, Michael. It, um, every club should have a referee. Um, I know you're, you've tried several times uh, yourself. We've had conversations over the years with trying to get someone from Kappa White to referee. I think that County Down have a great um, formula up there. Every year, start of the year, 
if a club doesn't have a referee at the start of the championship, you have to pay 500 euros into the kitty. Oh. And they don't get it. Yeah. In the following January again, if they haven't got a referee, they contribute 500 euros again. And that puts the onus back on the clubs that they must work to get a referee. And it's working. Down have loads of referees now. But they still have clubs that don't pay, that don't have a referee, but they're paying for 10 matches by 500 euros by not having a referee. Yeah, no, that's a, it actually sounds like a, a good idea and something that, that, that could be looked into. So just saying more locally, Fergal, you're obviously from the Kickham's Club. Uh, there's a great tradition of refereeing in the Kickham's Club. I mean, probably the best in the county, I would, I, I, I would say, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, John Mack and yourself, obviously, refereeing at, at, at inter-county level. Sean Bradshaw, we've had Eamon Brown in the past, Willie Kendi. Why... How are Kickhams producing referees when other clubs can't even get one? You know, that, it's, a, it's a tremendous it's a tribute to, to Kickhams. Like, it's great. But how, uh, why is it happening, we'll say? Well, uh, in fairness, in fairness anytime, anytime a new chairman comes in, um, they always, they always um, try hard to bring in a new referee. That's something they've done for the last... Like, even Willie Dwyer um, and Dunham Ski, he's done four county finals. Like... Um, We've always had a great tradition of refereeing. I suppose, look, it's some clubs buy into the fact, buy just some, it's like anything in life. It's like, it's like discipline or whatever. Some clubs have very good discipline records, some don't. And some just buy into the fact of, a refer, of having referees. And some clubs don't put any interest into it whatsoever. And how do you change that mindset? Well, it has to change the top table. Yeah, and it needs to be incentivized, I suppose, as you, as you said, uh, more of an incentive to, to, to get involved. Um, Fergal, you, you obviously played yourself uh, out the field, but I suppose made your name early in the time as a, as a goalkeeper and won an All-Ireland medal with tip back in, in 96 as, as the, the minor goalie. But again, Kickhams have a great um, a great tradition of goalkeeping. As I said yourself, was there, Donal O'Brien in the past. We've had Aaron Brown there in the last couple of um, the last couple of years, Dylan O'Grady was in with the with the minors. Kickhams are obviously producing good goalkeepers, and is that something that's that's worked on within the club, um, or or is it just pure luck that these guys are are good in the goal? No, well, it's not. It's definitely not luck, Michael. I know. Um, I've been in charge of juvenile teams for the last ten years in um, in in Nacavella, and I suppose. We've had we a bit like Cap White have we, we had a couple of very good juvenile teams. Cap White had a good few juvenile teams, and I, the emphasis I always put I I always sacrifice a, a good lad out the field, good, a good pair of hands, good balance, good feet. Um, that's what happened with Aaron Brown. Aaron Brown was was one of our top forwards in the under twelve county final when they won it back in fourteen. Uh, but um, we had no goalie for under fourteen the year after, and then Aaron we we just we just picked him out as as being has been small at the time, but very, very nimble on his feet, very good hands, safe under a dropping ball. You know yourself, Michael, at an under 12 or 14 match, if you were in goals, that's leaking goals, balls in over his head, like silly mistakes. It, like you, you just can't, you, you won't win games. And I suppose we, we have, we've always tried to build on um, a solid foundation. We're, we're different to some clubs. We can, we can have brilliant goalkeepers. And all, as you said, we always had, Forwards is, is 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 our downfall and has been for even when I was on the Kickham team in the nineties and early noughts we, we had we had um we won three West Senior finals we got to Tumivaro twice bet by five or six points in a couple of county semi-finals we just didn't have really top class forwards to get us over the line the likes of the Eugene O'Neill or Bonnie Hindi or we just we lacked one of them and look 
some clubs are good at things, some are good at others, but we, we, I suppose we put a lot of emphasis at underage on, on, on a solid goalkeeper and maybe maybe that has shown true. And we had Patrick Herons was the goalie in 87 when they lost the minor All-Ireland. He'd be Darren Mooney's uncle, obviously. So he was there as well. We've had a lot of, um, John Farrell was there, won an Ireland in 81, was the senior goalie in 84. So I think we've had, we've six or seven lads that have played at minor 21 and senior in the last 30 years. We've probably definitely the most goalkeepers in the county. And definitely yeah. the most referees that have refereed on the finals as well. Absolutely, no, no, <laughs> it, it, it's it's a it's a fair tradition to have, you know. And, um, it, it's great and, and putting in tremendous work there into it. Um, would you Callum, coach? You, would you coach the keepers at underage level in, in the club? Like I'm, I'd say, very few clubs would actually focus on like goalkeeping coaching, especially at underage level. It's usually just a lad stuck in the goal, kind of if he's either a, a young fella. Um, Maybe that's good under twelve. Maybe thrown into older under fourteen or whatever you know for a game. Well, I, I can only speak for teams I've been involved with, um, and and any team I was involved with, even intermediate, I would I would have the goalie working separate on the night with two other lads, two lads that are not involved in the team. Um, if it was an under twelve team, I'd have two under fourteens brought in with me, and they'd be working with tennis balls. I wouldn't use I wouldn't use slitters with um with young goalies um the tennis ball is the tennis ball is um, I'm not giving away my secrets now I hope but. Uh, <laughs> Tennis ball, the tennis ball is a great way to get a, a, a young lad's confidence in goals because I would be blessed and the boys, two boys would be blessed in 30 or 40 tennis balls in a row at him. And if they hit off his leg or his or his stomach or whatever, you know, children under 12, they're um they can be you know, they, 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 they can be temperamental like and um, uh, if they get a slap for a tennis ball, it doesn't affect them as if you get a belt of a slitter. If you get a, an under 12 year old and you get a, a hard belt of a slitter at, at 12 years of age, well you'll have a big, big job to get him back into that goals again. So Tennis balls, little sponge balls, I would work them with. Work them hard, maybe 300 balls a night. And they get so good and so confident that they don't want to play anywhere else. And, and, yeah. and I, I know exactly where yourself and Michael are coming from. It's nearly impossible to get a young fella to play in goals. Yeah. It's nearly impossible. So you have to work all them, all, you, have to, you have to add all them things together and, and show him and tell him that this fella is going to be the next Brendan Cummins. And look, it, it, it works for us. Um, so again, but I, you have to. I would, I would be disappointed to hear that that clubs are not putting um, work into a goalkeeper. I think goalkeeping is the most important on the field. As I said, if you're leaking goals in a match, four four goals, you've scored in points of the run. Yeah, definitely and it's also it's like it's the only position where you get was it twenty five free pucks or thirty free pucks on average every game as well. Super important. Um, yeah, so we, we'll move on to the, the final section then, Fergal. Um, thanks so much for your detailed responses so far. It's been, it's been awesome. Um, so we have a rapid-fire question section here where we'll just throw 10 questions at you one by one um, and just spit out the, the first thing that pops to mind. So the first question is, who's the best player that you played with or played against? Owen Kelly, Tipperary. Good answer. Um, what was your favourite match to referee um, or is there a least favourite one that you'd care to mention? Most favourite, 2017 uh, Linster semi-final in Wexford Park. Wexford versus Kilkenny. Good stuff. Are referees influenced by the sideline in club matches? Some bad ones are, yeah. <laughs> do, county, do county players get preferential treatment in club matches? Absolutely not. <laughs> Who does the most whinging, backs or forwards, generally speaking? Forwards. <laughs> if you had a magic wand, what rule would you bring in or what rule would you change? Put the managers into the stand. 
<laughs> What's the funniest thing that has been said to you on a hurling field? Um, is that a yellow card trouble? Yeah. The one thing my father told me this morning before I got in the train was don't get booked. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? Because <laughs> in the Ireland senior final last, last December, I won't name the player. <laughs> What's the most important medal that you've won? Medal? Uh, Count Jones, you want a hurling, 1994, Kickhams. Nice. 1996, Tipperary minor hurling team, where you, which you are part of. Was that the best minor team Tip has ever produced? Um, one of the best, I would imagine, yeah. How do you think it affair against the 2007 team, the Potty Mar team, Liam Sheedy's? Uh, they were only average. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Um, That's- that- that's all the questions we have. That was brilliant, Fergal. Uh, thanks very much for joining us here on the Premier View podcast. Thanks. Oh, brother, boys. Thanks, lads. Thanks. So that's all we have time for this week on the Premier View podcast. Uh, thanks again to Colm, Inda, Sean and Marty and, of course, Fergal Horgan for joining us and being the first guest on the Premier View podcast interview series. Uh, thanks very much. We'll see you later on. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.